everybody, it's Mark Bennett here from ANZ Agribusiness, pleased to present our April edition of Agri Commodity Insights. And it's our autumn edition, which is a fantastic time of year to be contemplating uh, a new season. Joined today by Michael Whitehead, Madeline Swan, and Adelaide Timbrell, and keen to work through uh, with you and for you our thoughts on key commodities and economic conditions in Australia at this time. I thought I would start with some bad news or poorer news and then lead into maybe the better news and, and the opportunities because the latter still dominate the, the farming landscape in Australia most definitely. Um, however, there are new pressures in the system and you can never escape the volatility of the weather and um, I guess firstly to recognise the flooding that we've seen on the east coast particularly in New South Wales and Queensland and uh, some heavy rains drifting into eastern Victoria lately as well but gee what a mess um, a terrible situation for a lot of coastline and for a lot of farming caught up in in that where you've got um, big interruptions to, to um, all the linkages, the farming itself, um, livestock management um, all becomes incredibly difficult. So our thoughts are with those that are trying to work their way through all of that. And um, let's hope that those conditions um, normalise really quickly so that the cleanup can take place and the rebuild uh, can, can get started. Um, the, the COVID issue is obviously much better from a disruption point of view these days. We've um, we've got a lot of COVID cases being um, reported in system, but we we seem to be out of the lockdown states, and uh, and that's a good thing. So con continuity of trade um, looks more positive. Uh, it's the ever present risk, I guess, still um, around variant and impact that might have, uh, but we're looking and feeling a lot better than we were um, not that many months ago. And we've got the terrible uh, situation playing out in Russia, Ukraine, um, terrible from a humanitarian perspective and everything that goes with that. It's clearly creating um, impact on our soft commodity markets, um, it's impacting potential growing of product supply and trade. And the big question is, of course, how long will this go on for? And therefore, what impact or lasting impact might we see, particularly in grains markets, but also on the, the fertiliser side and, of course, the energy side. So there's there's a lot to work through there and there's a lot of commentary on the topic. But I guess what it has, has meant for soft commodities in the meantime is that um, it's, support, it's, it's one of those factors supporting really strong prices that we're seeing. And I guess the longer that goes on, the more likely um, and more strongly those, those prices will be supported by that situation of supply constraint. Uh, we've got costs that I think we've talked about before as well. They're, they're, um, they're creeping into the equation and, and more than that now in, in many respects, there's margin erosion that comes with that. Um, but Farming still looks very profitable across the board on the basis of people um, experiencing average conditions. So I think that's something to be 
grateful for. Um, the other interesting thing I think is that the reasons for rising costs are linked to the reasons for high commodities uh, prices in a lot of ways. So yes, we've got cost and availability of labour, still a big issue, fertiliser, chemical, cost of livestock, grain, um, interruption to trade, all of these things are ever present, but really prices have been uh, driven not just from demand, but an undersupply of a lot of these inputs as equally as we're undersupplied in a lot of those commodities. So naturally, perhaps um, there is a margin to be maintained in a higher cost environment um, that also supports high commodity prices. So it's a watch and accessing inputs is the is the really important thing. Uh, but of course, the most critical thing will be the weather. And we're now uh, into April and looking for that for that um, typical break period in the winter pattern. The uh, Will it be early? Will it be late? Will it be weak? Will it be strong? Um, we don't obviously know. And regardless of the forecasts, um, you can't really be certain. But if you plan around average, uh, I think there's just so much still to look forward to in this industry um, and there's no reason to expect less than average. And I think if we dwell on the positives of, you know, the fact that profitability in the sector is still really strong, um, demand for pretty much all of our commodities is very strong, um, balance sheets supporting farming are very strong, uh, the feed base is very strong and undersupply of stock if that's a strength um it kind of is in that it, it supports prices until until that supply lifts significantly and we're a little way off that still i think maybe there's a hint of that coming into the sheep flock but really uh looking really good um we've got uh, availability uh, of water and cost at a decent level as well so i think with all of those factors still looking so good that even with uh, a, an average to strong year and another big year of production, um, you know, maybe there's a, a case to be made for the fact that commodity prices still might be well supported uh, through to our summer this year, uh, given that so much is um, is so much in favour. And uh, of course, we don't know for sure, and uh, and and time will tell. But I think that the um, the costs are a watch. Um, the weather events will always be the watch as well. Uh, there's instability in markets, but um, I think there's just so much still to look forward to. And as we work through the different uh, commodities, um, you'll hear in more detail uh, why our key markets continue to look really good. Um, with that comes our economic conditions, and we are seeing those inflationary and interest rate pressures take place around the world. And one thing that a lot of our larger customers in and, and uh, larger farmers in Australia will be looking closely at is the cost of money, interest rates. Um, there still seems to be strong case for interest rates rising in the short and medium term, uh, and that will impact cash flows in the same way that some of those other cost pressures are coming through. But Again, to what extent um, and how quickly, we, we can't be certain. But for these issues and for everything else, economics, I'm 
happy to hand over now to Adelaide Timbrell. Welcome, Adelaide, and uh, look forward to your thoughts. When we look at the economy in Australia at the moment, the big issues we're seeing are um, rising inflation and also a wind back in stimulus, um, both from the Reserve Bank and the government. So what that means is we are seeing cost of living rise. People are Googling the words petrol prices uh, seven times more than they usually do. They're Googling the words inflation twice as much as they usually do. Uh, we're seeing consumer confidence take a bit of a hit as we do see households get a little bit squeezed by those cost of living pressures, um, which we see, you know, in the grocery store out in um, the petrol station things as well. Even though global oil prices are starting to fall and the fuel excise uh, is going to provide some relief, we are still going to see some broad-based inflation in the Australian economy, which gets up to a peak of 5% per year. Um, when we take that uh, and compare it with the Reserve Bank's goal of 2 to 3% a year, it is quite a bit of inflation. So far, though, it's not really impacting people's um, actual spending behaviour. So we're still seeing people spend on discretionary things. We're still seeing clothing spending go well, department stores, furniture, homewares, and travel agents are actually back almost at where they were before COVID. So we're seeing that not only are people buying those smaller things day to day, but they're also planning for those larger trips. That is a really good thing because it means that even though consumer confidence go is going down, we're not necessarily seeing the flow on effects of less business revenue. We're still seeing really strong job demands in the economy, which will keep inflation up to an extent. And we'll see the reasons for inflation move away from global factors and into local factors like the fact that wages are becoming more expensive and businesses have to pass on costs. At the same time, we are seeing some extra spending coming into the budget. So the budget has $40 billion in extra spending through new policies and projects. Um, this is something that we probably didn't need at this point um, in the business cycle. And what I mean by that is we've got very low unemployment, the economy is already running quite well, and we probably don't need spending for spending's sake at this point. Last year, it was a very different story, but this year we don't really need it. So this is something that could keep inflation up a little bit higher than what it would have been otherwise. Still, it's not going to get as bad as what we've seen in the US, New Zealand, or the Euro area. When we look at the policy windback, what we're seeing is that even though the budget is a little bit spendy, it's still going to be less than what we saw in 2020 and 2021. And we do think the budget deficit will come down by about $100 billion over the next five years. So that's because even though they're spending a little bit of extra money, they're also gaining a lot of extra money through more people in work paying taxes and more businesses getting profits and paying taxes as well. The Reserve Bank is doing its wind back too. They're going to start increasing the cash rate from June. Um, we're going to see three cash rate increases in June, July and August, and then a bonus one in November. That's going to push the cash rate up to 1% by the end of the year. By the end of next year, we think it'll hit 2%. We're not too worried about households defaulting on their mortgages as a result, and that's because most homeowners are the same group of people who kept their jobs and saved a heap of money through COVID lockdowns in Australia. Um, fiscal stimulus and, and the very, very low cash rate really helped them gain in their savings too. So when we look over the next two years, what we're seeing is we're going to see some wage growth. We're going to see some higher inflation. It's going to be a bit bumpy this year between the fact that inflation is probably going to be a, a, a lot stronger 
than how much people's wages are going up. So we will see people essentially get poorer this year and then richer next year. When we look at how that's going to impact trade, um, we do know that even though the Reserve Bank is going to start hiking relatively aggressively, it's not going to be as aggressive as what we're seeing in the US. And when the US goes faster than us, that keeps us the Australian dollar down under parity. So if we were to go um, to a higher cash rate than the US, we might see the Australian dollar jump up to you know, 0.9 or even a dollar uh, USD, but we're not expecting that to happen. And so we do think that the Australian dollar is going to keep around that 75 cents mark with a few little bumps as the RBA does, it, it does its work, but those will be spikes. They're not going to be anything that we see in a sustained measure. Now let's move on to the main agri stories that we're seeing in this publication. And perhaps one of the biggest issues in terms of trade has been the interim signing of a free trade agreement between Australia and India. In many ways, India is a market for Australian agricultural goods that many in the sector just don't know enough about, but it's a really exciting market. Uh, its population, um, as has been widely publicised, has gone past that of China um, and therefore becomes, in many ways, one of the world's largest but most interesting consumer markets too. There is a perception out there that the Indian consumer is very much a, largely a vegetarian market, but uh, this isn't the case. It's still a large market uh, for potentially Australian meat. Uh, the Indian consumer is, as we have seen through a number of countries over recent years, growing in income as well. And what this brings is a change in preferences, looking for a greater variety of food, uh, looking for more of a healthy diet as we see around the world. And this opens up great opportunities for Australia. So what are some of the big things that we've seen for the Australian agricultural sector in terms of what's being put in this interim, interim free trade deal and how it will impact different commodities? The first one's sheep meat. Uh, what will happen with this free trade agreement is that the tariff on sheep meat tariffs, which is currently around 30%. And for sheep farmers, uh, the tariff on wool, which is around 2.5%, will come back to zero. So bringing both of those back to a zero tariff going into the Indian market really makes them attractive for importers there uh, and, and adds a benefit to Australian exporters who continually are looking to diversify their markets. The more markets you have to export to, uh, the less risk you have of being shut out of one particular one. India at the moment buys around four and a half to five percent of Australia's wool, but there is the potential for that to grow as the world fabric manufacturing sector changes, potentially with some of it moving out of China and more into the subcontinent as well. So a market with potential. In terms of sheep meat exports to India, it is a very small market at the moment, admittedly. Just over 100 tonnes of sheep meat were sold to India recently. But what we're seeing going forward is the potential for that market to grow uh, and for more of the Indian consumers to take advantage of the trend in Australian sheep meat uh, and to, to bring more of it onto Indian tables. In terms of grains, the grains that have the most focus going India have traditionally been pulses, chickpeas, lentils, lupins and others. And admittedly, chickpeas have been left out of the current agreement, while there is a reduction on tariffs for lentils. 
what we've seen over the past few years is that India adjusts its tariffs depending on how its domestic production goes that year. If there's a monsoon and a bad crop, tariffs come down for imports to, to keep consumers fed. If there's a good crop, tariffs tend to go up. So the domestic industry in Australia is still hoping that at some point tariffs will come down on chickpeas, but that hasn't happened. There is a deal for lentils going into India. The tariffs dropped from 30% uh, down to 15%. And for favour beans as well, it's due to go down to 0% over seven years. So for that part of the Australian production sector, and about a million hectares of pulses are grown in Australia, uh, that is one where parts of that market start to open up more. The other two major areas where this uh, will impact are horticulture and wine. The Indian consumer market, like so many markets in the world, is rapidly growing in its appetite for horticulture, healthier fruit and healthier veggies. And in many ways, some in the horticulture industry are saying that this agreement is better than they expected. Tariffs will be eliminated on Australian exports into India over the next seven years on products such as blueberries, avocados, onions, cherries, asparagus, lettuce and celery. Uh, so for each of these, and while others such as apricots and strawberries will see reductions, um, similarly reductions in orange and mandarin tariffs uh, with those likely uh, to go down over the next few years as well. What will need to happen at the same time is there will need to be changes and improvements in terms of the technical and trade and quarantine parts of this supply, but it is a very good sign for opening up this major market to Australian horticultural exporters. And the last one is wine. India is a market which is renowned for having high tariffs on alcohol imports, uh, whether it be spirits, and it's a market that loves its spirits, or for wines as well. Currently, wine imports into India have a 150% tariff, but under this agreement, Australian wine uh, will see a, a big reduction in tariffs over the next 10 years, down to about 50%, which will make them very attractive for a very large market with an increasingly sophisticated palate. And with the Australian wine industry really looking around in the wake of the Chinese tariffs over the past few years for new markets, this is really a new area for them to focus on. So with a free trade agreement, agreement like this, it absolutely, for certain parts of the Australian agri agricultural sector, opens up a great new opportunity. It will require work. It will require the building of relationships. It will require people on the ground, uh, but yet another win for our domestic sector to focus on. And on to the other big story uh, in Australian agriculture at the moment, and it has been for many, many years, is how high can cattle prices go and when they fall, how low will they go? So we all will have seen some moderating in the ECI over the past few weeks, uh, such that now that we're now sitting at five months lows, we're, we're back down to where we were in November last year. Having said that, they're still very, very, very strong prices. But the real question many, many people are asking is, is this a real change in, in buyer sentiment? Have restockers really taken their foot off the pedal? Or is this just um, a bit of a reaction to a change in circumstance, to flood, to war, to some of the logistics and supply chains issues going on? The answer to that, in my opinion, is a little bit of column A and a lot more of column B. So what we've seen is that fewer cattle in the sale yards um, as a result of the flood uh, disruptions have seen the equis soften slightly. And so when we combine that with some drier weather in the south and a poor rainy season in the north, we've seen that ecchi drop to, as I said, a five-month low. What we're also seeing, interestingly, across in the west is the 
Western Young Cattle Indicator going really, really well. So that's now operating um, either on a par with or premium to the Eki. So that is indicating that demand for young breeding stock in the West is still looking very strong and sentiment in the West is very strong. So that gives you some indication that the, the changes in the Eki might be more to do with local circumstances. So we've also seen that it's been a really difficult start to 2022 for processors. We kind of thought 2022 might be the time when processors might get a break. Um, but as we've talked about the floods, the supply chain issues, the lack of freight, freight costs, all that's all that stuff have combined to make it a really difficult time for them. And they're really having some difficulty in, in maintaining their margins and they're feeling a lot of pressure. So we've had exports um, have had a really poor start to the year. Again, not so much due to demand, but more to do with those shipping delays, the floods and the processes shut down due to COVID. So we've seen latest figures have just come out. March exports saw uh, March exports of beef were down 11% on the same time last year, and that was repeated in January and February as well. Um, so, so yeah, as, I, as as we were discussing, is this a real change in, in restocker um, activity? Or is it more to do with the floods and, and supply chain issues? There certainly has been um, a bit of a decline in restocker activity in the east. As I said, um, the north has, hasn't had a particularly good uh, wet season. Um, and as a result, there's a little bit less demand for, for those younger breeding cattle, um, younger fattening cattle, um, but not much of a change. Um, the main change has been because of lack of supply, in the sow yards, lack of processor demand as they cope with their logistical issues. Um, so we would not expect, we, we don't really think this is the start of a great downturn in the Eki. It's more of a moderation just because of circumstance. So if we then have a look at, uh, at the global picture. So for some months, we've been talking about whether Australian prices will have to come back just merely because they're that much higher than global prices. As it turns out, um, global prices have actually jumped up to meet Australian prices. So that's a bit of good news for Australian producers. So due to um, drought in the US um, and, a, and a bit of a liquidation of their cattle herd, um, a, a really tight supply in Brazil, high oil, oil prices, and that lower disposable income that's coming about um, has, has, has also resulted in, some, in global cattle prices increasing very, very strongly. Um, strangely enough, it's also resulted in the US um, and Australian exports to the US have been very poor recently. Um, but uh, an increase in demand for Australian meat in the US because that lack of disposable income for consumers has also seen uh, consumers move towards grinding meat, so burger patties and so forth, of which Australian Australian meat is a really key constituent part. Um, the, only, the only other issue overhanging most of um, the beef industry and really weighing a, lo a lot of um, cattle producers and processors' minds is just how, how much more can consumers take, both in Australia and on a global stage, um, how much more will they continue to buy beef as, as the prices rise so strongly? Um, so both the US and China have seen really big increases in beef prices in recent years. Um, so a lot of people in the industry are asking how long until they start looking for alternatives in sheep or pork or chicken. So that's another issue overhanging, overhanging the industry. Having said that, all's looking very, very strong. Um, the price is still really good. There has been, as I said, a bit of a dip, but nothing major, no popping of a bubble, nothing that anyone should be concerned about and the future is looking pretty bright. 
Turning to the grain industry, there are probably two major points that stand out at this point in time which are impacting Australian producers and the supply chain. Undeniably, one of those is Ukraine, the conflict and what impact that will have on global markets, which has been widely publicised, and also importantly for Australian producers and for the supply chain, whether it be grain handlers, transporters and others. Let's start today by looking at the domestic crop and the point it sits in now. And right now is one of the busiest periods in the year. It's sowing time for a lot of grain and oilseed producers. This will differ in different parts of the country, but crops are going in. Australia is coming off the back of two record crops, two of the largest crop, well, the two largest crops in history, uh, based on a range of factors. Uh, by and large, some of the best combination of seasonal inputs, uh, great weather, great rain, lack of frost in most regions. Will this happen for a third year? Could it be the third record crop in a row? Chances are no, for a number of reasons. The first is the planted acreage. Uh, ABES is four forecasting that the overall cropping acreage is going to be down by around 600,000 hectares in 2022-2023. That's only 2%, but 2% of a large amount of acreage is a lot. It'll bring it down, uh, particularly with wheat acreage, uh, will come down to about 12.3 million hectares this year on current forecasts. Why is this happening? It could be because some producers have opted to shift partly into livestock just to diversify uh, because that's part of the strategy of their mixed operations and to take advantage of the ample grass and the good prices that are being seen in both sheep and, and cattle prices as well. So where are we going to see the changes? It's looking particularly like there will be a slight reduction in wheat production on current forecasts, uh, as mentioned, and maybe a reduction in a number of the major crops, except for canola, which is looking like it will go up. That could be part of a rotation. That could be also because they're seeing the high prices and the fundamentals for demand staying strong there. One of the interesting ones, which is forecast on a percentage basis to see the highest rise, will be the pulse side of things, particularly field peas and lupins. These are forecast to go up by about 30% in terms of acreage in the coming crop. Why is this happening? It could be because farmers having had great years in the mainstream crops are looking to diversify as well. It could be because the demand from consumers for plant-based protein is really fueling demand of this down the supply chain and that export demand is there as well. That said, the pulse crops in Australia, the area, are still around half of what they were in the 1990s. So whether this has the potential to go back to where it was or whether the predictability and the certainty of predictably high prices in wheat, barley and canola, uh, driven by the global uncertainty and the conflict in Ukraine, will persuade farmers to stick with those as well. This has a while to play out. Turning back to the Ukraine, it has been pretty well publicised that the conflict in Ukraine, as it continues, will have a major impact on wheat and grain markets going forward. We go back to the fact that those two countries export around 30% or account for 30% of the world's wheat exports. And if those exports are curtailed, if they're not coming out of Ukrainian ports, we've already seen a, a restriction on Russian exports over the past year or so with their own domestic export bans, then that brings a degree of, well, 
almost panic, but concern into world markets as countries who are major importers look to procure supplies. That has pushed prices up to record levels, but still a degree of volatility. It's because there is much more wheat in storage now than there has been at any time, uh, particularly over the last 10 to 15 years. A large amount of that in storage in China, but a lot of countries still have reasonable wheat supplies. That's not to say that concern continues to grow and continues to grow, not just about when exports will come out of Ukraine and Russia, the Black Sea region, but what the impact will be on the crops, particularly in Ukraine going forward. That has some time to play out. So what does this mean for Australian grain producers and the Australian grain supply chain? Well, because of the point in time when the whole conflict happened, not that much at the moment. A lot of Australian grain had already been pre-sold just before the harvest or just after it. So it was uh, not in a position to take advantage, uh, maximum advantage of those high prices. Will it impact what farmers plant going forward? Possibly, but farmers planting has also been impacted by the high prices and the difficulty and availability of fertilizer and other inputs. That's going to have an impact on what people choose to plant and it's going to have an impact on their yields as well. Looking ahead, if the conflict continues and if the conflict means that restrictions on grain production and grain exports from Ukraine and Russia continue well into the future, then it's the 2022-2023 crop whether Australian producers choose to forward sell some of it, or even when the crop comes off, uh, comes summer this year, which will have a much more major impact going forward. It will also impact down the supply chain and across it too. It will impact feed prices, whether into dairies, into poultry, into aquaculture, into feedlots as well. Uh, it will impact the prices and the demand going through exporters. So watch the Ukraine situation take some time to play out in Australia and watch the industry and all stakeholders look to maximise on it, but also adapt to it long term as well. Turning to the Australian sheep industry and where it sits a third of the way through 2022. In terms of sheep production, both for meat and for wool, the, the industry is sitting in an interesting situation. Prices for the Eastern States trade lamb indicator, the benchmark pricing point for the industry, still sit reasonably high, sitting at around uh, 800 cents uh, in late March, early April 2022. This in many ways is a positive sign. It's a very high price compared to where the average has been for the last seven years or so. However, it is below the last two years. And it has been below that point for roughly the first third of this year. What does that mean and what can we read into this? Uh, potentially, we can read that following the end of the drought, uh, through all the activity of 2020 and 2021, so much of the sheep industry, as with the cattle industry, was driven largely by restocking. As farmers look to take advantage of the rain coming back, the green grass, their depleted flocks, to get animals back into their flocks and to build them up again. Arguably, the industry is at a point where this has quietened down and we may well see less volatility in prices going forward. Sheep industry prices have 
almost regular cycles every year impacted by lambing, uh, impacted when there's a shortage of lambs prior to spring lambing, when there are more later on the market, impacted in summer as well, as the industry looks to sell off uh, rather than supplementary feeding for many farmers. We've also seen major impacts in sheep meat prices over the last two years, particularly in 2020, when COVID disrupted processing operations in a major way. We saw a big price slump in 2020 then and a recovery. And while the processing sector is still being disrupted by labour issues at the moment and arguably not running to capacity, potentially society and particularly in Australia and, and Victoria and the major processing states has worked out how to get around the COVID disruptions so we're unlikely to see those kind of changes again. So what's the outlook going forward? Sheep meat prices remaining strong. Industry, uh, particularly export demand, looks also to remain strong. Once again, some fluctuations. Uh, we've seen uh, exports to America go down from the highs they are at. We, we've seen some reduction in exports to China, but we've seen growth in other markets. Papua New Guinea is an interesting one, which has become the third largest ex export market for Australian lamb. So that demand is likely to be there. The flock looks to be continuing its reasonably strong uh, upward trend as well. Uh, we're likely to see, as we mentioned, uh, the Australia-India Free Trade Agreement open up new opportunities there. And the ongoing changes in the Saudi Arabian and other Middle Eastern markets will, with some attention from, from our sector, also open up operations there. So likely to see good news going forward, uh, but still some volatility, hopefully trending downwards. Turning now to the wool side of things for sheep farmers as well, in brief, where is this sitting? We have seen uh, optimistic signs that coming out of the COVID disruptions globally, consumers have looked to take advantage of the opening up of economies and the opening up of spendies. spending. Uh, demand for wool has gone up again, and we are really seeing uh, that having some upward pressure on the wool market as well. What are the forecasts going forward? Uh, not for anything major. Uh, in fact, perhaps for some of this to pull back and for wool prices to be steady rather than spectacular. Underpinning this, we will continue, as mentioned, to see the flock increasing, but largely uh, benefiting from sheep meat prices rather from wool prices. So perhaps, as mentioned, it's probably steady as it goes and as we go along. Demand for wool will continue to be reasonable. Uh, the wool supply from other competitors in the world, fewer than there are, is likely to continue to diminish, whether from New Zealand, whether from South Africa and other markets. Uh, the Australian wool side of things will stay in innovative, will stay focused, uh, and is, is largely good news going forward. So moving on to our dairy farmers. After a pretty spectacular start to 2022, we've seen the latest global dairy trade auctions have actually come off slightly, about 1% each time in the past two auctions. Um, those falls have been felt mainly in whole milk powder prices, but also in butter and milk fat prices. So it's obviously a milk fat related issue. Um, but skim milk powder is doing very well, as is cheddar. Um, you're actually now seeing skim milk powder trading at a premium to whole milk powder, which hasn't happened for a little while. Why is this? What's demanding? Uh, what's driving this drop off in demand? China. Uh, primarily, um, they've been the major, major factor driving prices for many years now. Um, but 
the current dip in prices is related to new COVID outbreaks in China and breakdowns in logistical supply chains. All those sort of issues have seen um, demand from China drop off slightly. So we're not expecting that to be a, uh, a, a, a long-term change that will correct itself into the future. Um, so we see this is a little bit of a blip on the on the on the on the radar. Having said that. A lot of a lot of farmers and a lot in the industry are starting to feel a little bit of deja vu. The prices have been increasing so strongly; they're now back up at the levels they were up at 2014. You combine that with really high oil prices, Russian ban on Australian dairy imports, high high, high feed prices. Some people are starting to think that there might be a little bit of a drop coming off, in the same way that 2015 happened. Um, happily, the situation that the similarity stopped there. Um, in 2014, 2015, there was a huge surplus in milk production, uh, primarily as EU producers had their uh, production quotas lifted and a flood of milk came onto the market. That is the absolute opposite of what's happening at the moment. Um, at the moment, there's tight supply all around the globe. Um, the production surplus um, globally for milk has fallen to a historic low. So supplies are tight and we wouldn't expect to see any anywhere near the crash um, that happened in 2015 happening again. So that's good news. Um, having said that, domestic production in Australia is down again. We've had a wet spring, a hot and humid um, January, a bit of a dry start to autumn in the south, um, and that combined with a smaller national herd is seeing um, is seeing forecasts of a 1% to 3% reduction in Australia's um, milk pool this year. So, again, um, demand for milk from good farmers by the processors will be strong. Um so all of that bodes actually fairly well for prices going forward, and that's reflected in the recent step up in step ups in prices. Um, and as the, as we come into a new season and the announcement of new prices, we would expect them to be pretty strong. There is a downside to everything, um, and this is not going to be unfamiliar. Um, rock, skyrocketing cost of imports, fertilizer, feed, and fuel. They're certainly going to be um, an issue for both processors and producers. Um, and whilst there's plenty plenty of feed grain around, um, that was likely to come at a high cost. So those those new prices when they're announced in June, um, we're, we're absolutely hoping they will be high because they also need to cover the margins for these increased cost of inputs. But having said that, I think most farmers are working their way through it. They're adjusting their fertiliser rates. They've um, got good water storages to grow their own feed. So it's still looking pretty good um, all around. So the blip in prices that have happened in the past few weeks, we're not, we wouldn't see that as a the start of a new downward trend. Okay, so that's a wrap for today. I hope everyone enjoyed our updates. I uh, hope you get a chance to read through our publication, but a big thanks to Michael, Maddie and Adelaide, and we all look forward to catching up with many of you in the days and weeks ahead.